you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I was actually, I was looking at verse, uh, well, I, I should say verse 8 kind of caught me. Um, and But as I was digging in, verse 8 is like another section, but then I ended up... Uh, God gave me a message for verses 1 through 7, doesn't even include 8. So I'll just tell you real quick what 8, uh, it says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. And uh, what 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 really caught me was that word marvel, you know, marvel, we don't think about it, not the comic book, but like the, the word meaning uh, to be astonished, to stop and to be shocked by it, to think about it, to pause. You know, we, when you marvel at something, you're like, wow. And you, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and what the Bible saying in verse eight is saying, when you see the poor being taken advantage of, being oppressed, when you see justice and judgment being perverted, you know, and violence and different things like that, the Bible says, don't even marvel at that. You know what it's saying? That's gonna happen. And you can go back through time, go through history, no matter what culture, civilization, whatever, what happens? The rich are gonna oppress the poor, and there's going to be different justice for different people. And there's going to be violence and different things like that. And the Bible says it's just going to happen. You know, our news media focuses on the shock of verse 8. And the Bible says it's going to happen. Where there's sin and where there are people that refuse to follow the Bible and refuse uh, to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. And they live their own way in rebellion to God. You will have this right here and it kind of shocked me but that was free we're going to look at verses one through seven which is totally different uh by the way tonight and maybe some other time we'll look more into uh the second half of the chapter but ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of god and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before god for god is in heaven and thou upon earth Therefore, let thy words be few, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that uh, which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cease to, or suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach tonight. Lord, help me... Uh, 
Lord, your words would come alive in our hearts and our minds. Teach us what you have. And Lord, fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, tonight, Lord, we want to take your word seriously. And Lord, uh, even in passages that we don't look at very often, Lord, we know that there are things for us that we can apply to our lives today. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So uh, one of the things, the book of Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon. Remember, King Solomon is one of the sons of King David. Uh, and in the book, the key word is vanity. Uh, we, we don't see it a lot in this part of the passage, but in other passages, it's over and over again. 37 times in the book, the word vanity appears. And when you see that uh, in, in Ecclesiastes, that vanity means empty. It means temporary. It means unsatisfactory. It's not going to bring satisfaction. Satisfaction. Uh, so Solomon, when he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's an old man at this point. Uh, you know, you think of Song of Solomon early in his life, uh, Proverbs kind of in the middle, Ecclesiastes at the end. Uh, and if you read the whole book, he is looking back at a lifetime that he has spent having the knowledge of uh, about what that godly wisdom that he was given, uh, but he didn't apply it for the most part of his life. He knew what God uh, wanted him to do. He knew exactly what to do to have a successful life in the eyes of God. And he chased after uh, money. He chased after wisdom. He did building projects. He does all kinds of things. And what do you see over and over again? He says, vanity of vanities. What's he saying? Remember, empty, temporary, unsatisfactory. I could not find fulfillment in any of that. And one of the things people struggle with Ecclesiastes, they're like, well, wait a second. What's, what's the purpose of it? And I believe the big purpose of the book uh, is to look at, hey, uh, uh, there are so many in this world that are trying uh, to find satisfaction, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find all these things outside of God's will, outside of God's word. And King Solomon already tried it. And not only did he already tried it, he already he had more power, more money, more wealth than anyone that ever could have. He lived in a time of peace from his enemies. So he tried more than any of us ever could could in our lifetime. And he came back and said, vanity of vanities. I think the closest we have to a King Solomon are some of those princes over in the Middle East. Uh, you know, they come out with the list uh, of billionaires and different things, and you'll see different people listed. And uh, I've heard people say that some of those princes are probably trillionaires and people don't know it. Uh, and you think of that, wow, that much wealth. But the Bible says Solomon had more. He, was, uh, he had more wealth, more wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, you see a life full of regret at the end because he didn't do what God told him to do. But this portion is a little different. It's a little, uh, he's giving a little more wisdom in this part, not as much talking about his failures, but giving some wisdom, again, from the man that's got uh, the God-given wisdom. And in verse 1, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. And what he's saying is when you come into the house of God, when you come into the, like we do to the church to worship, he's saying first keep thy foot. So number one, you know, direct your feet to the house of the Lord. That's number one. And you realize it, it seems simple, doesn't it? You, you know, you come up and you say the night before, you know, we're going to go to church or, or maybe throughout the day we're going to go tonight or whatever. And how often does the, uh, does 
does the flesh, does the devil try to get you to go in a different direction, right? He tries to get your feet to go somewhere else or get you prop your feet up instead, uh, but direct your feet. I think that's one of the things that he's saying. Uh, when it's time to worship, direct your feet to the house of the Lord. But I think the one of the other things that we have today uh, that was different then, they only had one house of the Lord. They had one temple that you would go to. Well, today we've got many houses of God, many places say church on the uh, name or some, a lot of them, they're dropping the word church. They'll have the something after it, but many places uh, basically act like a church, but I, I'm here to tell you, you can't just send your feet to any one of these. A lot of them, you go in there and it's a whole bunch of nonsense is what's going on and, and things to make you feel good. And a lot of times you can tell by the flag they're flying out front uh, what they believe in, right? Are, are they agreeing with sin or agreeing with the Bible? Uh, but anyway, we have to be careful uh, which way we're heading. But one of the things he says right here in the verse, he says, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. And one of the things this reminded me of is uh, after David's sin with Bathsheba, there's a prayer, Psalm 51. It's on my list eventually to try to memorize it. Uh, but in the middle of it, Psalm 51, 15 says this, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I uh, would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart oh God thou will not despise he is saying hey uh, David made that sinful choice he tried to hide it he tried to cover it up uh, with Bathsheba remember uh, he tried to sweep it under the rug get Uriah killed and everything would be great will be good uh, but the Lord was angry about it if you remember that story and what David was saying he knew that I can't just go to the house of the Lord and act like there's no problem I can't just go uh, come into the church house after I've been living, uh, you know, as having hidden secret sins or living the way I want to all day or, or living uh, the way I want on Saturday and then come in on Sunday or, or throughout the day today and come in tonight. And David knew that even in his circumstance, he said, hey, uh, I can't act like there's nothing wrong because God knows my heart. He knows what I'm doing. He knows where I'm at. I can't just give the praises of my mouth. I can't just open up the hymn book and sing as if there's no problem and I think sometimes we miss that we can come in we can go through the motions uh, but if God wants us to do something different or take care of something you know that praise is wasted before God that's what he's saying he's not going to accept those things but you know what God always accepts uh, uh, you know instead instead of acting like nothing is wrong he always accepts a broken and a contrite heart what is that uh, in the face of sin when, you know as a Christian when we fail when we mess up when we do things we shouldn't or don't do things we should uh, and, and God convicts us of that uh, and we realize the problem uh, we can't act like nothing was wrong but what we can do is what David did he said hey if you want to get uh, to where you can praise again if you want to get to where God accepts your worship again you just repent Right, You turn from that. You come back to God with a broken and a contrite spirit. Uh, you, you confess that. You get healing again. Uh, and God will lift us up. He'll help us out. He'll clean us off. And he'll get us back to where we need to be. 
But that's what he's saying. Hey, be more ready to hear uh, than the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. They don't even care that they're living an evil life. They'll walk right in there and participate. That's why there's a lot of churches that allow it. Because they've got a majority in there that are living evil, living against God's word. Well, they're all coming into the building. Well, we can't preach against that or we'd lose everybody, right? Well, I'd rather, uh, one of the things that they're forgetting is they're going to stand before God one day. Not only the congregation, but the one standing up here will too. Be not rash with thy mouth, verse 2 says, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. I believe verse 2 is still talking about in the Lord's house, although it can be used outside of it as well. But he's saying, be not rash with thy mouth. You know, I think that is sound advice, something to remember, uh, you know, when we're giving testimonies. Uh, be not rash with your mouth. It's a, a, a testimony is not a story time. You know, th- it is not where we're, you know, a lot of times we've got, we're one of the few churches that allows just open testimony, uh, uh, you know, and because I've heard over the years, I, I, you've probably been in church too. Someone stands up, gives a testimony and you're thinking, well, that's a great story uh, for after church. But where, where is God in that? Where is Christ lifted up? Where is it pointing to Jesus or something like that? He's saying, be not rash, uh, be not rash with thy mouth. Prayer requests too. I, this has happened. Uh, praise God. It's been a long time, but I've heard some prayer requests. It's just gossip, just a gossip session. That's not what we need. But here's the thing. I'll step on my own toes. Uh, when we are preaching and teaching, it's not just vain words. It's not filler stuff. Uh, uh, the words that we need to be saying are, are words of truth that uplift and edify and, and convict and everything else. It's got to be meat and substance, not just uh, words on a page or anything. Be not rash with thy mouth. Here's another one. When we pray to the God, when we pray the Lord, be not rash. Here's the thing. We, uh, sometimes I, I've struggled with this. Do you realize that God, I don't believe that we need to be praying to him for five hours a day. Just saying as many words as we can. Now, if you need to unload things on the Lord, then go ahead. But I don't think you need to be forced that every single prayer has to be super long. Because I read Nehemiah where he just said, remember me, Lord. In between when the king, he's talking to the king and and they're in a conversation. And the king says, what's your request? And Nehemiah says, you know, remember me, Lord, that's about all the time he's got. He doesn't have time to say, you know, oh, God, and all these things. I think sometimes we just need to remember uh, we don't need to be saying foolish things or a marathon prayer most of the time. We just need to be honest with God. Let your words be few, meaningful, thought out, not hasty. That's what he's saying, not rash. Look at verse 3. For a dream cometh. Through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Now, here's one thing I'll, I'll tell you about myself. I do not remember hardly any dreams at all. I'm not one that wakes up and, you know, I remember this, remember that. A lot of times I don't remember anything. So, uh, but I know the times that I do remember dreams or, or remember them for a very short amount of time. One thing that seems uh, uh, to happen every single time is you realize, now here's the truth about dreams. This is what science will tell you is our dreams are literally only lasting about five 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half hour, or a little bit longer, but that's it. 
And you think about how much is packed into five, 10, 15 minutes, right? In a dream. Don't you do all kinds of things? Like hours and hours long, and it's only a few minutes. Why? Because everything's really hectic in your mind when it's happening. You know, your eyes are moving fast, all of those things. And you know what I think he's trying to show us? Remember, he's talking about words, a multitude of words, a multitude of things, not being uh, just, you know, kind of spitting out all these words. And he's giving a thing like, hey, what, do, what happens when you, we have a dream? A lot of times you wake up from that and a lot of things happened in just, you know, say a 15 minute span of time. And then sometimes you try to wonder what just happened. What's the meaning of that? What, what happened? And then you're confused, right? Why? Well, I don't know. I know I did this or I did that or I missed the bus or whatever happened in the dream. Uh, you know, whatever is going on. And I was sitting there thinking about that. You know, what if we're teaching somebody about the Lord? What if we're given a testimony? What if something like that? And we've said a whole bunch of words and then they step away and they're like, what just happened? Yeah. What did he just say? What's the meaning of that? We failed them, right? I, I the people I worked with, they would, in a meeting, you know, somebody would, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys at work, but somebody, you'd be in a meeting and somebody wants to talk just to be heard and be seen and, you know, try to act like they're uh, bigger than everyone else or whatever. And they would say, I had a coworker that said, well, they just say like a word salad. They just throw a, just a whole bunch of words out there and didn't really, at the end, you're like, what did they say? They used a lot of great phrases or whatever, but they didn't really say anything. That's not what we need when we're teaching, preaching, praying, testifying, different things like that in the Lord's house. You know, sometimes I think less is more, and especially less when we can drive someone to something. And here's the other thing. And he talks about, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Have you ever talked to somebody? This has happened a couple times in my life where you, you maybe you meet somebody new, and they start talking about something and they just really start talking about it and they have no idea that you're actually an expert in that. And they act like they're an expert. Has that ever happened to you? It cracks me up when it happens to me. Because uh, a lot of times I'll ask a question or two and then the, they'll get even deeper in wherever they're going. But, uh, but this one, I think this is a, a good example of that. A fool's voice is known by them. They will say all kinds of things, yet in the end you're like, they don't even know what they're talking about. That's not what we want to be when we're talking about the Lord. That's what, how often do we, and here's the scary part. Are we doing that to the Lord? Are we saying a whole bunch of things that don't mean much? And he's looking down and he knows the truth. Verse four, when thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he uh, hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast owed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, here's, I will say something with this. Verses four and five go together. But here's what I hear. I hear people quoting and mentioning verse five all the time. But then they never say verse four. They go together. You can't pull them apart. They go together. Because if you only do verse five, better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And what I hear people doing, they will run with verse five. And what they'll do is say, well, I guess I'll never make a promise to the Lord, right? 
I'll never promise to do anything because heaven forbid, I, I promise the Lord to do something and I don't do it. That's not, that's half of it. The other half, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that thou which hast, thou hast vowed. And really, the equivalent, I believe, of doing this is when, have you ever heard somebody, usually a non-Christian, will say, doesn't the Bible say you're not supposed to judge anybody? Yep. And you're like, well, yes, it does say that, but that's half. The other half of the coin that goes together with it is we're not supposed to judge you with a different standard than we judge ourselves. But if we're judging the same standard, we are. In fact, we're supposed to judge. They're just taking you know, half of it. I believe it's the same thing right here. Yes, it is saying, hey, if you're going to make a vow to God, the verse 4 is saying, then pay it, complete it, do it. That doesn't mean you never make a vow to God. It means you shouldn't make a hasty vow to God. That's what it's saying. You shouldn't just, because what's the context of this passage? What does it keep talking about? Just rambling words, just saying things without thinking, you know, uh, like the fools do or the word salad or the dream, just all kinds of stuff going on. Don't vow something to God with as cheap of words as what it's been talking about in the first couple verses. Mean it. Mean it. That's what he's saying. If you're going to step out into any ministry, if you're going to do something for the Lord, if you're going to step out by faith, you need to anyway carefully consider it. Pray about it. Make sure it's his will. Now, don't, uh, don't use it as an excuse to, ne again, never vow, never step out because I don't want to fail. It's a balance there. So it's got to be one of those things where you say, hey, I've considered it. Uh, Lord, I know this is where you're leading me. Uh, it's, it matches your word. Uh, you know, I just, I, I know this is it. I've tried to make every excuse then that's the point where you just have to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step out by faith. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, do what you want me to do, and just do it. And that's what he's saying. Do it with all your heart. And don't give up when the first problem hits. Don't give up when times get tough. And here's the thing. When I answered the call to preach, I remember this. I told the Lord, basically, I said, Lord, I don't, I don't believe I have what it takes. I don't believe uh, th that I'm ready. I don't believe whatever the excuse is. But Lord, you've called me to do this. And as long as you help me, I'll be able to do this. That's what I told him. So that was a vow, basically. And you're thinking, Mike, was that a bad vow? No. You know what I did? And what I realized what we can do, especially when making vows, is when you're promising something to the Lord, take his promises and make it part of the vow. And say, Lord, you've promised this, which means I'll be able to do this. Because really what you're saying, you're vowing, is Lord, as long as you do your part, I will do my part. He's going to do his part. And really it's a reminder to us, he will do his part so we can do our part. Now, that doesn't mean we'll never, uh, never not complete a vow, but he's saying, hey, don't be hasty about it. Remember, we don't know the future. God does. But he's saying, hey, don't just throw up vows at God and then so cheaply uh, uh, drop them. But we can make vows and we can keep them. 
Verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? And you know what? Don't, you, don't we see this verse every day? Look at the beginning. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. The mouths, what people say, leading them to sin. What did dad just talk about, right? That's a prime example. The ones at work, right? What were they talking about? Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to go sin, right? Here's how we're going to do this that's against God's word. Now, they don't care that the Bible says you shouldn't do this. They don't care what the Bible says about fornication. They don't care about any of that. But they're going to make plans, and here's what we're going to do. And God says not to do that. Now he's telling us not to do that. Now, this would be good advice for the world, but they're not going to follow it. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Don't make plans to come together, talk about sin, entice each other to sin. And that's what the world does. But here's the thing. We cannot follow the world's lead. It's hard because you turn on the TV. What are they doing? They're enticing each other to sin. They're talking about sin. They're excited about sin, right? That's what, that's what we see all around us. James 3.10, here's one great example from the New Testament. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not uh, so to be. And then there's a couple of verses. He keeps making, uh, you know, bitter water and sweet water and everything else telling us, hey, uh, we need to pick one or the other and it needs to be blessing. That's what he's saying. Not the cursing, not leading to sin, none of those things. I think sometimes we underestimate how much sin really comes out of our lips. Uh, and the Lord hears every word that we say at the end of verse 6 is kind of scary. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? I don't want that to happen. And the, here's the thing I, I was thinking of again, you know, as, as best as of a metaphor as we can think of when we're talking about God. But have you ever heard somebody before you've seen them, you know who it is, and then you've got a negative emotion. You're like, ugh. I don't want God to be that with me. I don't want him to hear my voice and be frustrated. And then because obviously we don't want the last part. We don't want that devastation, whatever that is in our life. So we've got to watch our tongue, make sure unrepentant sin is dealt with. And then again, verse seven, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are, all, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. So what do we see? A multitude of dreams. We talked about this. Uh, uh, not only the dreams uh, that people have at night uh, when they close their eyes, but the dreams that people have, the ambitions, the goals. Would, don't we see that? There's a multitude of them. People want to chase after this and chase after that. Uh, uh, that's what drives this world each and every day. But what does the Bible do? It says, look at all these different dreams. Look at all these words about them. Look at all the books about the dreams and everything else and all the things people say in the conversation. What is it? Divers, vanities, different forms of the same thing back to vanity, right? What did he say? Empty, temporary, unsatisfactory. My goodness, this world. What did I say about the Solomon? He tried it all and he's over and over again trying to convince people and trying to convince us as well to say, hey, don't you chase 
after this world's vanity because it is a, you know, when it talks about being conformed to this world, it's being conformed to their vanity, to their sin, to their ideas. Uh, that's what it is. And he's do not do that. And what's he say? But fear thou God. It's a preview of the last two verses of the book. I'll read them. Uh, chapter 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon missed his chance. He realized at the end it was too late, uh, too late to undo what he had done. He had the wisdom, and instead of fearing the Lord, he chased after pleasures and everything else. And now at the end of his life, he is pleading to people saying do not follow what I've done do not chase after different uh, types of vanity fear God keep his commandments uh, and, and the earlier you learn that truth the better and even if you've lived a long way in that it is not too late to turn repent go back the other way because anything outside of the Lord's will is a pursuit of vanity Solomon proves it and not only Solomon, but go back from him all the way to today. There have been billions of people that have approved it with their life. The same thing. I'm going to do. I'm going to go against what God's word says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then they find themselves unfulfilled. And the key is the very last verse of the book. We're going to stand in judgment before God. Every single person in this world. And as a Christian, I believe that we are going to stand in judgment and be held accountable for what we've been given in this Christian life. The time we've been given, the talents we've been given, the wisdom we've been given, what did we do with it? And also the tongue we've been given, what did we do with it? How often did we use it for the Lord or how often do we chase after vain things that he's talking about? I'll tell you what, when you think about all the vanity and then think about the tongue and how much vanity comes out of that, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Especially for those of us that like to talk a lot, right? But I think the big thing that he's focusing on in this section is in the house of the Lord. When we're in here, are we just blabbering like the world does? Are we doing those things? Or are we being careful with what we say? careful with what we teach the kids because that's what we need and listen we're never going to be perfect the same james 3 that says how can blessings and cursing shouldn't come out of the same tongue also tell us that man can't tame the tongue but you know where we can get help from the lord all right i'm going to open the altar up in prayer